Welcome to Voices, a podcast from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. Here, we're seeking to elevate the range of perspectives on the role of business in the world and in people's everyday lives. Hello, everybody. This is Salil Tripathi for the Institute for Human Rights and Business. And at the Voluntary Principles uh, Plenary in Toronto, I have the great fortune of meeting my old friend Egbert Wesseling, who is a senior advisor at PAX, which is a Dutch organization but operates globally to promote peace and human rights. Uh, first of all, thanks very much, uh, Egbert, for joining us today. Well, nice seeing you again, Salih. Yeah. So my first question is really about a case that has gripped your mind for many years, and I've also been watching it for a long time, which is a case that involved the Swedish oil company, Lundin, and its operations in Sudan. Tell us what happened last year. Well, on the 11th of November, the public prosecution of Sweden formally indicted the chairman of the board, Mr. Ian Lundin, uh, also representative of the family that owns about a third, a third of the company and completely controls it. Um, and there was a second indictment against another suspect, um, former CEO and currently one of the directors, uh, Mr. Alex Schneider, mm-hmm. both um, residents of Switzerland. And they're charged with uh, complicity in grave war crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you read the list of uh, the crimes, it's pretty hideous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, almost a complete list of all war crimes at a massive scale committed by the Sudanese armed forces and the militia and according to the indictment at the request of um, the suspects. There's a very interesting second dimension um, to the indictment which is that the public prosecutor also requests in the indictment the court to declare the entire operation of Lundin in, uh, in South Sudan which time span of five years, uh, a criminal enterprise, and forfeit all benefits, mm-hmm. which are calculated at a total of $150 million. So you can clearly see by the choice of the suspects and and the and the choice to also forfeit the benefits, criminal benefits, the, 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 the public prosecutor makes clear that, that it's the company itself that's also standing in the dock and even forces the company to actually defend itself in court. So there are three legal teams in court, one for each suspect and one for the company. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a major breakthrough. I mean, it, it is the first time, I would say, since Nuremberg <laughs> that uh, someone is actually indicted for, um, for, for um, complicity in such grave crimes committed entirely on behalf of and in the interest of, uh, of a large listed company. I mean, it's an L4, 11, 12 billion dollar company. Now, the threshold for evidence in cases like this, complicity, mm-hmm. tends to be different and high and strong. And uh, you have been working on this for at least 20 years. I remember when I was at Amnesty International, we prepared a report on Sudan, which was, I think, also in early 2000s. So it's a very old story. And the conflict goes, of course, into the 1990s. So in terms of remedy or justice for the victims, it has been a long time coming. So what are the lessons for it? Do we need some kind of a more effective tribunal? Do we need a more, uh, do we need a corporate crime sort of a court system? Because these are, as you said, you know, after Nuremberg, this is the first major case. It has taken almost forever to, a, a generation has passed in that time. Yes, it, it is. It is. Um, to, of course, the, the 
it has taken a long time. The, the, the suspects even um, appealed to court in Sweden saying that and that their own human rights were violated mm-hmm. um, because of the violation of Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights, uh, which says um, th- there must be a reasonable time span between suspicion and, and the court case, which is, of course, 50% of why it took so, so long is because the company itself defends itself extremely Good. aggressively. Good. They, they took any opportunity to appeal, to claim, to go to court, to the ombudsman, to ask for more information, to request meeting with the exhausting in public prosecution, deliberately so. But otherwise, the case itself is by itself, of course, complicated. Mm-hmm. The uh, the reasons that the public prosecutor gives why, why it's taking so long is he can't access the country to start with. Mm-hmm. So he can't investigate the scene of crime, um, can't interview primary perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're talking about crimes committed over a long span of time in mm-hmm. the long Second World War. So that all very complicated. So anyway, things are a bit inherent mm-hmm. to the to the kind and the scale of the crimes. But there's also, uh, I mean, from a human rights perspective, I completely understand that, that we have to protect suspects against the powers of the state. Mm-hmm. But if, if a suspect can use the enormous deep pockets of companies to mm-hmm. hire as many <laughs> lawyers, including I don't know how many prof- university professors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the top lawyers in the world, to defend themselves as, as aggressively as possible, there's another disbalance. Yes. Basically, the legal power and the legal brain power of, of the um, of the prosecution is um, yeah, it's lower than the defense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, that imbalance is genuinely a problem, and I think uh, it, what's also stymied is the evidence gathering. That, as you said, is another major challenge when companies have to be prosecuted in this manner. And companies have, the, of course, they have the right to defend themselves. But the question yeah. is how they go about doing it, and are they trying to do something as a delaying tactic, where the procedure and the process becomes a punishment? Which is exactly what they're doing. And and there's another uh, big issue. I mean. Uh, Lunar Energy officially, of course, they, they, they endorse all the, all the business human rights um, instruments, like OCD, UN guiding principles, etc. But at the same time, I would argue that if you um, claim you respect and, and promote human rights, then that should have a consequence for your legal strategy. Right. That in your legal strategy, you should balance the, the interest of the suspect and, 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 and the company with that of the victims. Mm-hmm. They also have rights. Yeah. That's clearly not what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, de facto, I would say that, that they, they are um, contributing to ongoing um, uh, violation of a very fundamental rights of hundreds of thousands of victims to access justice mm-hmm. and, and uh, their right to effective remedy mm-hmm. by, by their uh, extremely aggressive legal strategy. Uh, but of course, this is a conversation that's very hard to, to have with the company. Yeah, so what are the lessons you think we have for companies from this? What should they do? Because these kinds of accusations are not unique. I mean, they happen to other companies also. Yes. They may be strong, they may be weak, the evidence may be good, the evidence may be poor, some of the complaints may be genuine, some could be spurious. Yeah, well, I would say, um, act less as a legal entity and more as <laughs> as if you're a kind of a human being, right. as a moral entity. Mm-hmm. The Lunin energies right from the start, they dug themselves in. They were advised by their own lawyers, no one else. Well, lawyers can only fight. 
they cannot reconcile. That's mm -hmm. not what they've been yeah. trained for. Yeah. That's not what they know how to do. They can mm -hmm. fight and escalate, etc. If um, the one lesson to companies, I would say, is um, if Lunin Energy in uh, 2005, when peace was signed in, in Sudan, and they had already almost left the country, but certainly left this block, when then they would have gone to these communities and said, we're terribly sorry. Mm -hmm. oh. Stuff went wrong. You suffered terribly. Let's not talk about guilt, but what can I do for you? Yeah. yeah? They wouldn't have been where they're now. Because mm -hmm. why did we, why did Pax write a report in 2010 brought to a prosecutor? Because Lundin was in denial. Mm -hmm. They said we've done nothing wrong. We were a force for peace and prosperity, which is blatant lie. And that's it. They didn't pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. And so people got angry. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody in South Sudan those days, not anymore now, but anyway, was kind of in a, you know, new phase, reconcile yeah. uh, mood. And, but they could not. It is, so I think that this, this um, corporate stuff that, that, I mean, of course, a corporation is primarily a legal entity, but that doesn't mean that you should act as, 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 as one that is kind of, you no, know, as an entity that's only focused on its pity, uh, self-interest, basically financial interest. It, it, in the end, you shoot yourself in the foot. Well, you should at least, and mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to yeah. ensure. That they yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, they might get away with it. Mm -hmm. um, not so much as suspects in the way they're already punished. In a way, of course, the indictment is already trying for the victims, except that victims need more satisfaction that I mean, if if truth is spoken in court, mm -hmm. that's already big satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Very, I mean, the recognition of their harm and suffering is mm -hmm. a huge satisfaction. For right. Um, but of course, you also want to, yeah, be able to recite your life, right? There's also a financial, economic, material mm -hmm. um, aspect to to to, to, to remedy and uh, to reconciliation and. Um, now, what, is, what did Lundin do five, six weeks after the indictment? So after that, they basically gave up on their strategy to, to, to delay and frustrate the entire uh, court case. Um, they announced that Acker BP would acquire all their Norwegian oil and gas assets, which is 97% of the company's value. So basically, to protect the shareholders and the family against the negative um, impact of mm -hmm. the reputation mm -hmm. wise, financial wise, etc. of the court case. They're stripping the company, Acker BP, and, and I'm very strongly, uh, no, I, I think Mr. Kjell Inge Röcke, the, the, the richest person in Norway, is mm -hmm. to blame very much personally for, I would say, his diabolic role here. And the same Murray Orchisklos, who, you know, the, the CFO of um, BP, same thing. They have, they pushed through this deal whereby and agree to it, uh, because it's beneficial for their OLS is that Lunin Energy will be stripped of his assets. They go to Aka BP and the remainder of Lunin Energy that'll change his name also, you know, they're just starting to disappear. Um, will keep all liabilities of the trial. Basically meaning that in case of a conviction, even in case of a conviction, there's no money left right. to do anything for the victim. So I, I find this so 
criminal. Yeah. And this is a criminal mindset. Right? This is no longer kind of... But this again is- goes back to what you were talking about, lawyers devising strategies because they only know how to fight and protect exactly. the interest of their client. Yeah. So the other example, you know, as, as you know, I was born in India. Yeah. And in India, had that famous, uh, infamous instance in 1984 of the Bhopal gas disaster yes. when Union Carbide had the accident and thousands of people died. Now, when Dow Chemicals acquired Union Carbide, they bought all the global assets of Union Carbide except the ones in India. Right. And that Indian company was hived off and sold to a company owned by the West Bengal government at that time. Yeah. Now, what it did was that it, it insulated Dow Chemicals from any potential liability that Carbide have. Now, that may be a very sound legal strategy because, you know, Dow Chemical was nowhere on the picture. Right. When, when the disaster right. occurred. Yeah. But by doing this, they made it, in, it, the effect of it was an insurmountable hurdle for the victims to secure justice from what remained of the company. And I think that's, there is this, this pattern seems to be repeating itself. And I think uh, there is need for corporate lawyers to look into their consciences. You know, is this the way they want to? Well, I, think, I think we need laws yeah. to prevent it. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, it, it, this is, we had a discussion with the CEO of Parker BP uh, about th- this concern, and at the end of the meeting, he said, "Oh, that was really interesting. We learned a lot, and, and um, your, your perception of these victims of the crimes is really interesting for us." What? What? <laughs> yeah, yes. You signed up to all the human rights instruments, and and, 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 and you do you deal with a company that's been indicted for war crimes and, yes. and the perception that there are victims yes. did not occur to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that is unfortunately the truth. I've, I've been speaking with analysts and financial institutions who are investing and they have the same the same thing. You said, oh, of course, uh, the investors should be protected. It's like, why? Why yeah. not protect the victims? Yes. Right? Yes. Well, because they're poor. Yes. yes. And they like power. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I know this when, case will keep you busy, and um, and there will be there, yeah. there will be justice. Yeah. To, to, I mean, yeah, yeah. Of course. Already justice done to some, and and of course we want full justice to be done, and it's a matter of uh, uh, yeah of time. But, yeah. But we will prevail. I'm sure. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely, you will. Uh, may the force be with you, as it says in the Star Wars <laughs> movie, and uh, and um, all solidarity and support to your work. Thank you, Salim. Thank you so Thanks. much, Egbert. Yeah. Thank you.